0: Yeah, I'm always ready. Hello, I'm Max Tempkin. And I'm Patrick Kloppick. And this is, uh, I'm pretty sure it's episode 13 of the Rewatch Podcast. This week we are watching Special. It is our uh, second Charlie Flashback episode. What?
1: No. You're yeah. already wrong. Nope. Here Homecoming. we go. Starting again. Nope, just roll with it. Just, it's not 13 either.
0: <laughs> it's like 14 or 15. I haven't <laughs> updated that in weeks. All right. Hello, I'm Max Temkin. And I'm Patrick Lubbock. And this is episode 14 of the Rewatch podcast, Homecoming. It is our uh, second Charlie flashback episode. And we have a great guest this week. Our guest is Michael Giacchino's assistant uh, composer, Chris Tilton, who's going to tell us about uh, working with Michael Giacchino and how to pronounce his name and various other questions uh, that we have about Lost.
1: Including where I called this Damon Lindelof Carlton Qs. yeah oh, yeah,
0: and then found a way to apologize that story is
1: so good <laughs> well you'll uh, you 'll hear that box in involved somehow
0: <laughs> uh cool well what's uh, what 's new this week patrick it's the new three d s
1: came out you 're doing some streams, uh yeah, we're doing some stuff from the office uh, we basically got a lot of this office together at this point or the or the studio part we were waiting on some. New lavalier microphones, but we busted out some old ones to make the sound quality a little bit better. And you guys have been doing some Dragon 8, some
0: uh, Trinquisition. Is that what you guys are, are calling those streams? Yeah. Trin, I'm sorry. I'm eating some chili. I'm looking right into your eyes and eating this chili. Hey, it's kind of weird.
1: I ate chili last night, so just paying it forward. Um,
0: yeah. So we got the streaming theater going. And you know we're doing, I would say it's like 50% um, for, for us, at least, for cards. People, There goes my juice. I would say for the card stuff that we've been doing, it's 50% um doing streams that, you know, are fun and 50% just trying to get everything in the studio to work. So it's yes. nice to have some reason to, like, you know, come and get Games different. are
1: really easy to hook up and you can play a game and it's, like, a thing you can do while you're setting up lav mics and figuring out levels and, exactly. and things like that. Instead of just, like... Please, (laughs) please watch uh, this empty camera stare at the wall, which is like just as useful like for testing it. But it's at least you can have a game on while people. It's it's nice too. It's like
0: we try and solve one technical problem like every time we do a stream, and then if we figure it out, our reward is like we play an an hour of Dragon Age. So I've never played any of the Dragon Age games, but I like the. uh, I'm a Bioware fan. I really liked uh, Mass Effect. That's actually the only game of theirs I've played. But I really like Mass Effect. Trends been bugging me to play. Uh, Dragon Age Forever, so that's the stream. Is I'm very reluctantly playing Dragon Age, and she she explains everything that happens in the game to me because I don't know. Boy, there's a lot of uh, dialogue, a lot of stuff to know in that game. There's a
1: lot of uh, uh, preconceived notions about built-in lore expectations for those for specifically that game. Like that game just assumes you are hitting the ground running. You know the relationships between the different factions, and it doesn't spend a lot of time uh explaining that stuff to you. Um which is why I think in the stream we pointed out that hey go read these two articles by Kirk Hamilton and he'll get you up to speed.
0: Yeah, I have not done that yet, but uh I will uh, I'm gonna go ahead and put I'll put a link to our uh, YouTube channel which is like the Cards Against Humanity YouTube channel where Trin and I are doing those streams and then you're doing the uh that really hard boring game.
1: Uh yeah Demon Souls. Demon Souls. Uh, yeah I play the other Souls games Dark Souls, Dark Souls two and then before Bloodborne which is the new Souls, game that comes out at the end of March. I'm uh, playing through Demon Souls on on my channel, which is just YouTube slash Patrick Clubic. Yeah, one I saw. Okay, we'll just we'll talk through a technical problem I found in real time. Um, the audio is delayed by like a small amount. So okay. the the the, the, a... the mouths are off just a tiny bit. If I move it five frames back in Premiere, it mm-hmm. syncs up correctly. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's some sort of thing that we just move a dial in it.
0: I think when you do the. Wait, it's desynced in your stream. It's not desynced. It's
1: behind. Like what we need is it's, it was in yours too. I looked it up to it's, see, if it it's was just it's, mine. It's in
0: the recording, not just the stream. Correct. That's weird. I don't. There, I'm sure there's some fix for it in OBS. There, I'm sure OBS has some setting to comp-, comp Yeah, there's a way you can do audio delays.
1: Yeah, um, and it's it's basically like the video that's getting pulled in from the game is happening slightly faster than the video that the camera is outputting. So um, that's the, the, the that's really like. Honestly, once we get the lav mic set up, uh, like the studio is pretty much kind of good to go. Like maybe we have to get some posters or something.
0: Yeah, uh, and some, we were I've been, I've been talking to some folks about doing, um, uh, like a, some like set designs, like almost like folding, folding cardboard or like plywood, mm-hmm. like really easy to swap out like set designs. So that's uh, something we can, we can think about. We should ask Vinny about that because he's designed, yeah. he makes all the giant bomb sets. He's right? done stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, the last one
1: work. was, uh, you know, largely we printed out, um, I guess I can't say we anymore. I keep saying that though. I keep defaulting. Uh, but, uh, the, the set included a lot of like fan art. So it was like a lot of that was printed out and put out really nicely. Drew found all that stuff and got high res versions of that. So, um, yeah, we'll figure something out. But, uh, you know, I'm just glad it's up and running and that it's basically gotten to the point where you come in, hit a couple buttons, go, hit record and you can stream a video game, which is pretty cool. Cause yeah, it's, it's fun, it's, right? Uh, like the, well, it's, it's fun. And then also like it's a really high quality version. Like, you can just sit, hit record and stream a video game these days through Xsplit, OBS. Um, but there's some sort of quality re- restraints in there that you just can't do with the kind of a, but we have like this really nice equipment and we've gotten it to basically the point of just hitting record, yep. which is really cool. Uh, and, but you look at all the stuff and you're like, Oh, that must be super complicated. And it was complicated to get set up and to figure out the weird uh, glitches along the way, but now it's, it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the other thing I'm get, starting to get really excited about is where, so right across the hall, we have this, like, black box theater. So it's like a hundred, 120 person black box theater, so we can do, like, you know, its main purpose is, it's kind of a meeting room, uh, a big meeting room, it could be a movie theater, uh, you know, have a projector in there, it could be a comedy stage, so we can do, like, comedy shows, but I'm excited about, The possibility of doing, like, live events or, you know, even, like, live game events and have a real-life audience but also stream it to YouTube. So we've actually got this, like, bundle of cables that's going out through the wall here. Those are all, like, 150-foot SDI cables that go that are on the lighting grid in that theater. And they just drop down to three cameras that can go in there. So we can have, like, basically you just carry the cameras across the hall, plug them into the SDI – and then they show up on the screen just like the camera, you know, the same as they do in here. Yeah, right it'd be on fun, on like, cable. set a
1: projector, like, do, I mean, you can imagine things, like, you know, and once we have the lobs, then it's, like, microphones are really easy to port, you know, port, yep. like, now we are, you know, when you guys had your, you know, Alderman debate, like, it's, like, okay, guys, take all these podcast mics over there. Big pain in the ass. So, with like, that'll all be streamlined. It's, like, if we want to do, like, a Smash Brothers tournament with, like, you oh. know, folks in the area, like, that's, like, an, half an hour of setup, and then you're ready to go.
0: I don't like the uh, fighting game people though. It's a problem. They kind of suck. Uh,
1: well, that's a lot of tiny... Tiny hardcore communities, uh, tend to be very inclusionary.
0: Yep, that's the problem. I think that,
1: I think that's more what you're getting at than fighting game people.
0: That's it, that's it. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little tiny insular community that I'm not a part of and, uh, they're mean to me. It's hard, it's hard to get into that stuff. We can uh, play, we can play Mario Kart or something. They they beat me up. Yeah, that's, that, now there's a, now there's a fun game. Yeah, uh, I would love to do, so the Killer Queen cabinet, uh, Killer Queen is, uh, for, for people who don't know is the, uh, it's the world's only 10 player arcade game. It's this art game. By uh, uh, these two guys out of New York, and we have a copy of it in cards. It's like one of nine of these games that exists, and uh, it's super. It's a ten, you know, it's ten players. It's super, super fun. It's kind of like um, what was the Mario with the multiplayer? Uh, that,
1: the original Mario Brothers. Yeah, before, so it's like, before it was called Super Mario Brothers, yeah, it, the arcade I, game.
0: Mario Brothers arcade game, and that's where you're yeah. in like the dungeon and you jump mm-hmm. on each other's heads. I love that multiplayer, but it kind of reminds me of that plus StarCraft.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's, yeah it's a 2D action game, but you can win in a you know a number of ways, uh, and it's 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 really fast. Things are over really quick. But like, yeah. it also you know you can it, it nicely accommodates a lot of different play styles. Like it's a, it looks like a very simple game that has an incredible amount of depth, and it's also cool because you cannot download it anywhere <clears> else. Like it is it is meant to be played in a physical space in which teams of five are facing off against another team of five right next to each other, yep. and like the trash talking and the yelling, like. Are very much a part of the design. You know, a lot of games don't build that in. But Killer Queen, yes, you could play it ten players online multiplayer. You it couldn't w- though. The lag would would destroy it. Ah, uh, so you could figure that stuff out. There's ways. Of, I'm saying you it think wouldn't so? be. Oh yeah, for sure. If they can make if they, if they can make fighting games work, they could make Killer Queen work. Yeah. Uh, but it wouldn't be the same, yeah. um, and I think there's something to be said about some games that are meant to be played in a very specific way.
0: Uh It's also a really, I think at least it's a really fun game to spectate. It's weirdly mm-hmm. fun to spectate. Like, I love watching people play Killer Queen because, you know, it's not just one player who's, you know, you're looking at, it's like a whole team dynamic, and the teams develop personalities and um, strategies and stuff, and there's sort of the metagame of, like, what strategies are, are beating other strategies. So I think it would be really fun to do a Killer Queen tournament. That thing has like an extra HDMI out, so we can't. Because we- they're just com- little computers. Yep. Yeah, there, it's a little yeah. computer in the cabinet, and uh, we can hook that whole thing up to the stream. And yeah, and that'd be go fun out. to do sometime. You'll be. We'll put you up in the booth. You'll be our commentator. Commentator. Okay. Yeah, you'll be like the old guy from the Muppets. There you go. Yeah. Nah. I don't like any of these games. <laughs> just get the snail. Uh, okay. Uh, new 3ds. Do you like it? It's Give a, us your review. I, people are. Waiting. I
1: just got my first game. So And I I picked it up here today. So I can't tell you anything about the new 3DS except that my old 3DS is broken Mm -hmm. um, and that Nintendo does not allow you to just sign in with your ID and download your old software on a new 3DS.
0: Can you do a system transfer?
1: Yes, but that old machine needs to work because it's literally transferring the licenses Uh. from one piece of hardware to the next. Even though it's tied to your software account with Nintendo and they know that you own it, the heart—it's literally tied to the hardware. So I need Nintendo to take the serial number to that 3DS, and then they'll ina- they'll need the serial numbers for both of my 3DSs. They'll enable the purchases on the new 3DS, then disable the purchases on the old 3DS through the serial number, and then I'll be able to to play those old games. It doesn't matter for me right now. It's just a pain in the ass, and illustrates how. Fucking backwards and Nintendo is on very basic concepts, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting on my couch tonight and playing an hour or two Majora's Mask, which mm. is is kind of what I'm into.
0: Why? And you can play it because you have the cartridge.
1: I have the cartridge. Yeah. Why?
0: Um, why do- isn't it like an iPhone where you just sign in? They're working.
1: They- they're, they're they're working their way towards that. They're just Nintendo's never been good at interface design and, and things like that. Why is that?
0: Can't they? I mean, you, these days it's like not that like I design interfaces it's not that hard like you could read a couple books about it and you know the big ideas It's just not
1: this is not how they're built like you know they make things in a very specific way that uh, are like for what they want to accomplish and there are wider technology, Things that people expect from their devices that Nintendo is spends a lot of time. They've never been good at online or services, and mm. uh, that's something they're seems, trying to catch up with. It seems like they, it's not an excuse they, anymore, but it's no, it is the reality.
0: It's, well, and PlayStation is the same problem. Like the the play, I find the PlayStation Four menu. It's the best of all the console menu all experiences, but it's still garbage. And the Vita, do you have a Vita? Mm-hmm, the the Vita menu is just they're bad. It's hard to use. It's ugly. It's terrible.
1: I'd rather just have a file system. Just like yeah. they have to open up the
0: games. Yeah, it's really garbage, uh, and it's so weird too because I, I think I feel I get the feeling Apple is uh, or uh, Nintendo is like very directly, um, uh, like they have like an app like a cargo cult around Apple. Like they mm-hmm. see Apple do something and then they try and do it. So I think their idea is like, oh, the DS is like your iPhone, and then Apple came out with the iPad. And they're like, oh, we need a bigger one, and that's the new. That's the the Wii U controller. So they're and they have the same charger and stuff. Like they're clearly meant to be. Well, yeah, they've, they've, a they've, yeah.
1: Like it's it's weird that like the digital stuff doesn't work how you want it to. Given that Nintendo historically has been the only company that gives a shit about backwards yeah. compatibility, but, like like the, the Game Boy, like they would let you play your old games in an old machine, like long after they should have been including stuff like that. Like Nintendo's always been usually pretty kind. Uh, to their consumers about that, but their digital stuff, they just don't know how it works.
0: Yeah, and they're just they're just missing the big things. They're missing like the big ideas of copying Apple, which is it's like they on the DS they put the icons in the grid, so it's like clearly referencing yeah, the, the iPhone the home. home screen, which yeah. everyone I I mean sure. everyone in the that's, world that's does. Ubiquitous. It, nonetheless, it's it, they're mm-hmm. referencing Apple, but they miss the part where like the menus are really nice to use and they load quickly, and there's like all the settings are consolidated into one. Place well, you
1: know. Well, Nintendo is also well. They're similar to Apple in that function that they're uh, both highly profit-driven and that they want to make money very quickly and up front. And so, Nintendo does that through. They build their margins in by having lower quality hardware and then just running. They try to have lower quality hardware and pair it with high quality software and right. they just kind of don't have that ratio at the appropriate balance. But I'm looking forward to, I, my old 3DS is dead, uh, I had never had an XL and I liked the bigger screen so I'd always wanted an excuse to get one and I'm a huge fan of the 3D, like I love I'm not a big fan of 3D in movies, but I love 3D in video games, and especially on the handheld stuff, and Nintendo has like made games that really take good advantage of it, and I love that in the new 3DS, it has eye tracking, so mm. that you can... It used to be on the old 3DS that you would break... Anytime you broke line of sight, the 3D just... The, the, the thing broke uh, and didn't work anymore. With the new 3DS, it tracks your eyes, so you can kind of move your head around and not worry about it so much, and it strains your eyes less, so I am super excited to play it's, some games on it. It's really that. good. Yeah.
0: I've, I've had all three, so I had the 3DS... Mm-hmm. The 3DS XL and now, and then I switched because I'm a, the new of, one's out. Piece of garbage. Yeah. Yep. I, I went on launch day and bought the, uh, the new, uh, XL, which is, re- there's really no re, having now that I've had both, there's really no reason to, if you have a 3DS XL to get the new Not one.
1: until they, well, the, there's different hardware, right? So it's a fa, it's got a faster processor. Um, and so the, you know, the, there there may yeah, be reasons um, that, for that in a year, but it's. You'll never
0: notice any difference. I mean, it's got amiibo support. That's the only feature. I don't own any of those. I don't either, but if you're into that, it's the only feature that that yeah. really matters. But so. anyway, uh, the I'll say the build quality of it. Did you ever? You've seen a, a 3ds XL, right? Mm-hmm. Like that thing was a was was not a good piece of hardware. It's mm-hmm. like it was like It like rattled and it was felt cheap. And the way the cover, the slip cover, was on it was like loose. This and feels the, pretty good. I'm yeah, all this of mine right now. the 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 new one. It's a much better build. What are you playing over there?
1: They're nothing. They're the car- oh, I'm playing YouTube by Google, yeah. and I'm opening up a present.
0: Um, Yeah, and then uh, I realized I got Majora's Mask too, mm-hmm. uh, and I realized— Majora's Mask
1: 2 is out? Oh, man, I missed I, that one.
0: I, I also got Majora's Mask, uh-huh. and I went to go put it in, and I realized that the thing that was in my slot already was Ocarina of Time, and I quit uh, in the middle of the Water Temple. Yep. I stopped. I just stopped playing. That's a
1: reasonable I, point. They made it easier in that 3DS one because yeah.
0: Well, I'd be I, now. I have to, and I realized I never finished Ocarina of Time, so yeah. now I have to finish. I have to go through and finish Ocarina, you're pretty of close.
1: Time. Well, not pretty close, but you're a decent chunk into the game if yeah. you made it all
0: the way to the waterfall. I'm temple. in the. I'm in the. Um, I'm in the Shadow Temple now. Okay. Another garbage temple. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm in the bad. I in I'm in the. uh I'm in the part of that game that's equivalent to. uh uh, special and homecoming and the sort of mid-season stretch of uh, season one of lost. Oh, well
1: that's that's a wonderful Look transition that's that segue that's a segue yeah um yeah let's talk let's talk about this talk about this episode of lost Actually, before we get there i guess we have uh well we got some we got some emails
0: oh yeah let's do our follow-up okay uh
1: do you want to start with justin
0: what's this one you put in here with no name Oh, I see. No, it's there, Donald from New Zealand. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take that one. So uh, Donald uh, writes in and says, uh, "You said you wanted to know if people kept watching Lost while you guys are away. My girlfriend and I are halfway through season four. Is that the whole email?" Yep. No. Thanks, Donald. Season four. Good season. Uh, okay.
1: Did I disagree? Uh, okay. Can't say anything about it because explaining what's going on. There's
0: nothing I can say about it. Uh, wait a minute. That's the that's the weird one.
1: Yes. No, that's a really good by season. By far the weirdest. Yes, that's season. a really, no, no,
0: no, that's a good season. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Uh, Justin, I'd like to thank you for giving me a reason to rewatch Lost. I'm currently about halfway through season five, approaching the end of my fifth complete viewing of the series. I'll probably be finished by the time this next episode is posted. Lots of good memories. Few not so good. Expose. Oh, I like Expose. I think Expose is fantastic. I can't so. remember,
0: I can't remember what one well, he's talking um, about. Can you give, tell me anything to remember? Let's see. I'm- how
1: can I say it in non-spoiler? Uh, uh, Nikki and Paolo. Oh, okay. And yep. that, um, a guy from Star Wars. Yep. Whose name, um, the actor I'm forgetting. Uh, really enjoyed the podcast. Been patiently waiting for new episodes. Glad you're back. Really hope you continue the podcast in later episodes. Some of my favorite bombshell episodes, or I guess he means later seasons. Some of my favorite bombshell episodes come up in season two and late season three. Uh, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, when we get to the end, how we feel about uh, going from there. Um, so nothing to say yet, but, uh, glad you're, glad you're still taking along. That's awesome. You are. It's fifth complete rewatch. This is my second complete rewatch. I, I can't say that, uh, I don't know if I'll ever make it to five, but. That's this is, I awesome. guess
0: this is uh, my first complete rewatch, cause I've, I, I, um...
1: I've rewatched seasons before, like mm-hmm. I rewatched season one and two up to the season three to watch that with Katie, and then we watched isolated episodes and probably all of season one. You know, like I, I just, I just don't think I've done a complete rewatch of the right. series before. I've watched isolated stuff over. Yeah, and we, over.
0: we've talked about this before. That like <clears throat> my my pattern of rewatching this, uh it's kind of it, it's a pure, pyramidal pyramidal it looks looks like, a, uh-huh. it looks like a pyramid. Yeah, because I pretty much watched the whole show. I rewatched the whole show leading up to every season before that season would yep. come out. So I've seen season one like a. A bajillion times and see yep. season two, one less, season three, one less. And then after it ended, I was like, mm-hmm, yep. I'm never going to watch this again. But here we are. All right. Todd writes in to say, <laughs> I have been waiting to watch the next episode. Thanks for coming back. Hey. Todd, you're welcome. I'm sorry to leave you hanging. It was a very drip suspenseful place that we left you. That's true. You, didn't, you never knew. was Claire going to come any, back? Any, uh, yeah. Claire came back. We came back. Now you know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Look at that it all works out in the end. Uh all right, well let's go to our interview. It's a really good interview. Uh it's uh uh Patrick and uh after Patrick uh, my friend uh, Chris Tilton. Do we say in the in the thing how you met Chris? Oh yeah, that he just emailed you.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's toward the end, I think we kind of get a little inverse on there. But basically, uh, Chris was a, a fan of video games, listened to One Up Yours, and, uh, he wanted a way to get in touch with folks and knew that saying that he <laughs> knew some people that worked on Lost is a good way, uh, to, to cut right to my heart. And, uh, then we became friends after that, and, uh, uh, Chris was, uh, uh kind enough to spare some of his time, and he's making his own video game and doing Fringe and lots of other stuff that he gets into in our, in our interview.
0: How do you say the composer of Lost's name? That's what we need to know. Are we starting? Oh, Michael- we're started.
1: Oh, we're we in the interview? Oh, okay. We're not going to introduce him. Oh, I guess we'll introduce him in the intro, right?
0: Well, let's just, can we please... <laughs> the- <laughs> please, can we know how to say his name?
1: Sorry, trying to be professional.
2: So, whose name is this?
0: The composer who wrote the music for the TV program Lost. Michael Giacchino.
2: Michael Giacchino. Yeah! I was Pardon. right!
0: Remember we had the Italian dude? We did. His name was like Silvio, and he wrote in. He was like, "You're saying it wrong. It's Gicchino. Kino. I G I A, so it looks
2: like you're supposed to say something. But I, it, I think that it's Italian. It's Giacchino. Giacchino. Oh, so you're saying okay. that
1: if we wanted to be really accurate and pretentious, we'd call him Michael
0: Giacchino. Okay, so now uh, now let's do a professional introduction. Chris, why do you know this fact? Uh, <laughs> You don't because You do not do the intro, you don't give that to the
2: guest, that's I'm not how it works. Him. I'm grilling him. Oh, okay. Uh, I know this because I worked for him for a very long time. I was his first assistant, actually.
0: That's very cool. You,
1: because uh, I actually already know this story, but I'm going to set up the interesting question so Max can hear it. You should explain exactly how you did this, which involves looking at the manual to a video game, right?
2: Oh, how I contacted him? Yes. Oh, okay. So, well, I've been a sort of soundtrack fan for a long time. So I bought lots of soundtracks and I bought lots of video game soundtracks. And, uh, when there weren't a lot of live orchestral video game related soundtracks at the time and he was one of the ones doing them. So I bought all of his soundtracks and he had his email address, uh, in the, in the liner notes of, for Medal of Honor Underground. And I was, getting on getting closer to graduating college so i wanted to write to see him does, i don't know i didn't know what i was going to be i don't even remember what i said but I, I think i said i don't know here's some of my music what do you think this
1: <laughs> is the era in which uh, he was working or was he i don't know was he employed by or just working like contracted for dreamworks interactive which is the branch that medal of honor came out of which is when steven spielberg was first interested in in making video games,
2: so he used to actually work for Disney Interactive and DreamWorks as a producer. Okay. but he really wanted to write music. And once like the Lost World started, he said, "Okay, I'm going to do this full time, and I'll, I'll stop working here." Or something along those lines, and he will just be contract or something like that. So, so I you- knew him. I knew him when he. I met him when he was in the middle of doing all those Medal of Honor video games.
0: Wow so uh so chris we've been we've been kind of teasing this uh, interview with you throughout the whole uh, run of of the rewatch podcast uh, but oh you are, God, really? <laughs> we have yeah well yeah. you're you're one of the I mean so Patrick and I you know going through our list of people we know you have a, a pretty like direct connection with lost and uh, also you're one of my one of my favorite composers but uh chris is a is a composer so we know you through your work on video games and you and I ma- met like backstage at, at some sort of you know e three giant bomb. At one of their cracked ends, that they recorded the. Uh, I don't know what yes. you're
1: trying to say. Yeah,
0: <laughs> the very that, scary. Those, those might
1: be highly complimentary terms yeah. of the places that we stayed at.
0: The the very very scary. Let's call them sets that you guys filmed mm-hmm. uh, uh, E3 Let, coverage uh, on. Some of
1: them actually were sets. Yeah. For pornography.
0: Were, those were, I have good memories of those nights. I got yelled at by David Jaffe one year. Uh, uh,
1: one time all of our equipment
0: got stolen. <laughs> one, time, one time I think we did a whole stream when Jeff just napped on a bed in back. Yeah. of the, Do you remember that one? That sounds about right. That was a weird one. Uh,
2: I felt like the actual house that they had for the first two years was sort of the best of both worlds. It was just ghetto enough, but you didn't feel like you were going to be shot.
1: Did you Did you ever go to that house, Max? Or did we meet you after that? That,
0: that was the second I was there the second year you were at that house, I think. Okay,
1: and that was well. That was my first uh, Giant Bomb E3 too. So I guess, uh, uh, yeah, because there was that TNT. That time is when you reached out to Ryan after he decided to play Cards Against Humanity on on that stream.
2: Something like that.
1: Um, so anyway, yeah. So that's how, that's how we know we know you. Through, I met you much earlier than that. From
2: yeah, you, I was a fan of One Up, and you were a fan of Lost, and I used that to get to know you.
1: You did, and then we oh, became. Wow, actual,
0: so your your whole friendship is sort of lo- has a lot of Lost history in it
1: yeah um well i worked at one up when i was 20 22 and i was on one up years every once in a while back when that was a thing and i remember mentioning Lost. well so that was a i was 22 so that would have been what eight years ago because i'm 30 now so that would have been and Lost's 10th anniversary was last fall so that was what in the middle of the third season of the show
2: right it was somewhere around there
0: second or third season
2: yeah doesn't matter
0: yeah. And uh Chris if, if I can uh, uh kiss your ass for a second uh you made I think mm. it I think it might be my now my my all-time favorite game soundtrack which is the new Sim City soundtrack. It's just The beloved
1: Sim City video game. Uh, that
0: game the game <laughs> I, I, I never even I was Actually, I so I saw like a good session of that game at E3, and I got really excited about it. Like it, they mm-hmm. it de- they demoed it really well at E3. They did. I was very excited to play it, and then I never even got it because of all the bad press. But so I don't know the game. I don't think seemed that great. But I probably listened to that soundtrack three times a week. It's like it, it's so 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 good, and it's so different than anything else out there. And it's it's so like lively and great. It's like I, it's kind of my my like peaceful, productive work music, go-to music lately.
2: Thank you. Uh, and you're not the first person to say that they use it to, like, do work too. A lot of programmers Twitter me as well. It's a, it's
0: a really, really cool soundtrack. Um, how did you can – you, can you talk a little bit about, about developing that soundtrack and, and what were the influences and, like, is it – was it recorded with real musicians or was it – is it mostly done digitally
2: uh no, we had uh, almost virtually everything except for the synth sounds is is live. Okay. Um we had like two different size orchestras. We had like a chambery orchestra and then a bigger one with some brass and stuff. But that just sort of came about where Steve Schnurr of, of EA just said, "Hey, you want to do you want to try writing the main theme to the new Sim City game and that goes well, you know, you could do the rest or something." So that's that's how that all started and we just had very brief discussions about how it should be, and then I, and I just I kind of took a sort of minimalistic John Adamsy approach as the basis to do a lot of minimalistic lines that build on each other. I felt like that was very appropriate, and it was also nice to just do something lighthearted and upbeat because that was in the middle of like I think that was between the first and last season of Fringe.
1: Right, because you took that over. What Michael did the pilot music, and then you. Maybe yeah. I, se- did you take over in the second episode of Friends? No,
2: it wasn't until about halfway through the first season. Okay, where the show was still kind of trying to find itself. Uh, yes, in, in more in more ways than just the music, but yeah.
0: So what? Uh, so was your first professional composer job working for Michael Gicchino? Gicchino? <laughs> I'm still not. I'm still not 100. Chris, I'm going to
1: implore you to not correct us every time that we say it. <laughs> If you can somehow show restraint, just allow us to. uh say the man's name
0: right. Oh, you know so many, We're not interviewing him.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'd like to. So many no. people mispronounce it anyway. It's, I think he's well, probably used to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you,
1: yeah, you, so you, you send this email, and then where, where does this go? How does this lead to you guys actually linking up?
2: Um, about a month later, he wrote back, and I said that I was going to be out his way in spring break and asked if we could meet up for lunch and we met up for lunch he said and i said i was moving out here in the summer and he said yeah just yeah you know give me a let me know when you're out here and, <laughs> and hang out. So, wow. so
1: you know so, how, how how all career opportunities happen
2: <laughs> so, so i moved out and he uh right after i moved out here and got settled in he got back from scoring medal of honor frontline and so i just sort of hung around and while they were mixing that and just sort of Kind of watched and learned, and I got to, I think, put together the soundtrack a little bit. like get the tracks together, so I guess I guess that could have been my first professional work. Uh, so,
0: so this was all. Pr- and were you were you guys working together when he st- started work on the Lost pilot?
2: Yes. Well, we so that's the, by the end of that summer, he was going to be doing Alias, his first TV show. Okay. So he need that's when he like actually needed an assistant to do like some score organ- organization works a little bit of orchestration here and there and uh before we realized we could just email the 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 digital scores to various each other copyrights i was printing them out and driving them to his house and he would mark them <laughs> up, and he would mark them up and then the copyist would reenter all of that into a different music notation program and then print that out for the orchestra. So
0: this, sorry, this is probably a dumb question, but you guys write this stuff like, like sheet music, like, like Beethoven, like it's like little lines and circles on the five mm-hmm. lines.
2: No, it's all, it's all written in some sort of a music software sequencer that's designed to write stuff to picture and deal with digital uh, samples and all sorts of stuff. So when, and you, then,
0: so and then, so when then, you say Mark, then, when you say Mark up, you're working with like digital audio files.
2: Well, well Not really. So, then he would have to make a MIDI file, hand that to me, and then I would import it into a music notation pro- program and make it look nice and printable. But then I would print uh, print that and bring it to his house, and he would write in what the dynamic should be, and then the copyist would then make it again.
0: <laughs> so at, at some point, wait, I'm just trying. Uh, at some point, your your the t- music for TV and video games it looks like an old timey, you know, music page.
2: If if you're gonna have live musicians record it, then yes, you need to. I
0: have, I have one. I have
1: one framed in my house. Uh, Chris helped facilitate Katie and I when we got married. Walked down to the aisle to a bunch of Lost music, what? and Chris was able to get a copy of the end, which is one of the tracks from the finale, and got uh, Michael <clears> to uh, actually sign it, and that's framed in our bedroom.
0: That's really cool. And it
1: is, it's the old timey sort of. It's kind of weird like to, that. it's, re- I mean, it's, it's yeah. sort
0: of weird to picture that, that, you know, music that you, you know, I imagine mo- it, most of its life it lives in, you know, in, in Logic or, or Pro Tools or something that it, at some point, you know, it gets handed off to a musician and with like a treble clef on it. And
1: also at one point it's a MIDI file that just sounds like a goofy, computer like yeah. I, I want to
0: hear the i want to hear the
1: midi files for the or, the original midi files for the lost soundtrack it yeah. yeah. sound like want to
2: hear that at all no <laughs> we, i do
1: we they actually probably, really do they probably they sound like they're getting spit out of like a commodore 64
0: do they exist anywhere
2: uh you know i don't they probably exist somewhere but the but because they had an orchestra you know there wasn't any kind of posterity and saving like <laughs> you no know it's Sith archiving virgins. the midis come on <laughs>
0: So what, so you, okay, so sorry, I'm trying to just bring this up to loss. So you guys worked together throughout Alias. Yes. And you were, you were sort of production assistant for the Alias soundtrack.
2: Yeah. So I I started out, you know, doing regular assistant things. And by the end of Alias, I got to write about 50% of the music for like the last couple seasons. Oh, cool. Um, and, And that was when he got lost. So I got, my responsibility sort of stepped up and I got to, uh, Take you know, do, learn a lot by doing that. I mean, you learn so much writing music for TV because you have to do it really quickly. Uh, so what's, what's, lo- the,
1: what's the turnaround time?
2: Well, for me, it's always been about four days, and that four to five days, and that includes the day that you need to record with the orchestra. So,
1: as well. so, so you so basically you have like what a day to come up with a sketch. And then what you go back and forth for a day or two, and then at the end, you no, no, it? you,
2: you, if you haven't written a bunch of cues and you're and done by the first day, then you're in trouble.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you have to do that all on the first day.
2: Yeah, and, and it depends on like at the beginning of a series like Fringe, I mean things took longer because you we were still figuring it out. But once you've got a lot of themes set and certain things, you know, certain cues are easier than others, so you can you can do a bunch really quickly and then spend. The time you need on the really important ones and things like that.
0: So what, uh, Chris, do you remember the first time that you heard of Lost or you saw the script? Because we've, we've spent a lot of time on the podcast going into the very early origins of Lost. So like the weird, the weirdo sort of first pilot script. We actually, we talked to Jeff Lieber, who was the author of that script. Um, do you remember what it was like to see, uh, you know, a very, early draft or a very early version of Lost? Did you, did it make an impression on you? Did you, did you look at it and think that it was good?
2: Well, I, the first time I saw it, I definitely thought it was good, but I, I didn't really come to see or hear of it until it was already kind of decided and being made and it was being made into a pilot. And Michael was there. I remember them requesting like new mu- soundtracks from like Blade Runner and stuff for like temp music and that's kind of, I just sort of heard about it. And then I finally saw the pilot once Michael was set to score it. And it was pretty awesome. And, and most of the, most of what I knew about it was just, it's the most expensive network pilot ever <laughs> so far.
0: Yeah. Don't screw it up.
2: So uh, it was, but that was also in the middle of Alias ramping up, you know, so that was kind of where my focus was. And okay. Lost was, I had to sort of help out on the first few episodes and just sort of, getting kind of what I used to do when I started out on Alias, uh, sort of running the laptop and click and doing various things that we did back then. So, so when,
0: when, when you and Michael would look at a new project like Lost, where you sort of have to build the whole audio world for the show, uh, it's a huge problem. How do you break that down? Do you start thinking about character themes or do you think about, do you start with reference music? Like, wh- How do you get your head around it?
2: Well, mostly in the Alias and Lost days, you know, it was, he was all making, he was making all those decisions. It wasn't until Fringe where I had to start really, like, I got to actually think about my thoughts on what a score should sound like. Because even when I took over Alias, I was following in his footsteps on what he had established and and stuff like that.
0: Were you at the recording for those early, you know, sort of figuring out stuff, Days of Lost?
2: Yeah, I was I was there for the for I, I came to about four or five scoring sessions in season one and then I didn't come again until the the season finale of season two, which was a really cool one to, to get to go to. And do you do you remember in those
0: early days, did you ever, you know, hear music from the show and think like wow, this is this is something special or you know, this is something really different than than what you you know, or, or something that's gonna be remembered?
2: I think so. I remember the trombone, like, glissandos were, like, a big wow. thing. And it kind of, you know, it, people talked about the music to that show, which was not... People didn't really talk about music on TV, music on TV shows very much, at least in the mid, early to mid-2000s. It was kind of just oh, like... It was
1: his own character. We, we've talked about this on, on in previous episodes, that you can... You know, if the island is a character of Jack and Cater characters, like what was different about Lost is that the themes were so pronounced in you know, maybe increasingly slightly over dramatic ways, but by being over dramatic, they actually became like this this is very much a character of the show that you when you heard certain themes like you knew what was happening. Like, you knew what the show was either hinting at or or getting ready for. Like, there was, like, the eerie theme and the creepy theme and things like that that would actually cue you into what was going on in the show in a way that I never paid attention to in other ones.
0: And there were – there, I love the the, like, the editorial stuff that would happen with the music too where sometimes you're seeing a scene between some characters and they'll play music cues from, like, another third character's theme and it makes you think about – wow, what I'm seeing in this scene really affects these other people. Like, it really, it kind of, the music was so important in, like, weaving everything together into the world and giving you that feeling of this is all connected and there's, like, a greater story here. So it wasn't just
1: there just to be there, like a lot of music usually feels like.
0: Yeah.
2: And I think that was in part because the show allowed itself to breathe and take the time to do these things. So, like, Michael was doing things like that and Alias as well, but, you know, that show was much more fast-paced and much more... Just kind of, kind of loud. To loud is a is a word, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess Lost is generally kind of slow moving. You know, there are action sequences and there are times when it moves fast, but uh, like the the stuff that I remember most is like the you know like the slow sweeping themes. You know, the music that plays over the montages at the end, or you know that like there's like the. Which is the, always like, oh, this is the sweeping shot where they're walking over like a mountain, so that they can cons- conceivably say they went like nine miles and just kind of just don't worry about it. That probably would have taken them all day. Don't worry about yeah. that part. But like, I would I would always start humming that, like,
2: mm,
0: mm, 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 mm. just while you're like walking to work or whatever. Yeah, and
1: also when they're doing it, like, it's one of the first show that I was actually like humming the music as it would come on.
2: Yeah, I remember, I remember that. That wasn't a very, it was, if it wasn't in the pilot, it was in like the second or third episode or something. I think it was when they went out to find the source of the signal or something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah it was really and, and I think he just reprised that whenever they were doing some traveling. It was basically yep. like the traveling music.
0: Yep. So Chris, what, um, from, from that those early seasons where you were mostly focused on alias did you ever have did you ever get substantially involved in in the music for lost or were you were you always working on sort of other projects and then just sort of were in orbit around lost like because you were working with michael
2: uh, lost was just always kind of that thing that was around but i wasn't i wasn't the main person on that because mostly because of alias you know I got the opportunity to focus on that. Uh, and then, and then after Alias was done, I kind of went off to do, you know, a few other video games and various things like that. And I, I also just enjoyed watching Lost. So I kind of didn't want to be spoiled on anything. (laughs) And did you,
0: when you, as you were working on other projects, did you see, you know, what was happening in Lost? Was it affecting the, the media? outside of it, where other, you know, would you go to hear, you know, me, go to meetings for like other TV shows and they'd start to say like, Oh, I want to do this like lost where, you know, there's this really rich soundtrack that, that is creatively part of the show.
2: Uh, I think I deliberately made sure I did, tried not to sound like lost.
0: Okay. Because, I mean, lo- lo- the, the, the music and a lot of the production of Lost made a pretty big impact on TV for, like, a decade, I think, after it was on.
2: I, I would agree. And I kind of, like, other shows not only tried to do what Lost was doing, they tried to do it with the music as well as the show itself.
1: The, the, only, the other one that really stands out was Battlestar Galactica. Which is which is another show in which was it is it Brer McCreary is that how you Bear say Bear McCreary Bear yeah. McCreary um, he's one of the other uh, composers that I kind of considered along. Uh, he hasn't done his stuff as memorable since as he's worked on like The Walking Dead and things like that. But I specifically remember the Battlestar Galactica soundtrack being not as memorable as Lost, but in that same sort of vein in which they had very pronounced, memorable themes that were woven into the show in a way that reminded me a lot of Lost.
2: Yeah, I I think that a lot of shows like I think a lot of shows, you know, slowed down as well after loss, like realize the value of like really getting into the nitty gritty details of characters and stuff. And that allows the music to then, you know, shine in the moments where there's emotional moments with those characters that can now pay off because you've spent all this time with them.
1: Was it? Wasn't it also like sort of because Lost was kind of at the same time that Michael was sort of blowing up as a composer and he was doing movies kind of at the same time and wasn't it? Isn't it sort of unique that he he wrote the music for every single episode of that entire show, right? Yes. Which is like sort of unheard of at least I remember that being remarked of as something of an oddity at the time that at some point he would probably have done exactly what he did with fringe or with alias in which you sort of set the tones you set the themes and then that gets passed off to someone who can kind of you know imitate and you know maybe put their own little stamp on it but largely just carry forward what he had already established but he wrote the music for every single episode
2: wouldn't you want to
1: I th- um, yes, I would like to be the composer for Lost. Uh, we know when they reboot it in 10 years. Um, I'll make sure and submit my samples. I mean,
2: but it's
0: just, it's so different than, than what it I've heard. It just seems like a shitload of work. Yeah. Like, that's, I feel like the reason
1: it gets shoveled off is because, like, all right, I did the heavy lifting, I came with the themes, like, am I really going to come up with 42 minutes of music every single week for six years? Like, that's an insane commitment.
0: Yeah, and I've i have heard, like, um, I think that was, I saw on Reddit, like, an AMA with a, someone who works for Hans Zimmer. And the guy basically said, like, you know, Hans Zimmer, when he does, you know, music for something, he writes, you know, one theme and then hands it off to a team of producers to, like, go and spin it off into a soundtrack. So he's very, he's very sort of hands off. He's high more of like a, yeah, he's more of like a very high up supervisor. Um, but, uh, it seems like that's really different than, than what Lost had in, in, in their relationship with, uh, with Michael.
2: Yeah. Well, also, I think just Michael is not, He's not, he doesn't want to manage a team of people and 50,000 projects if he can help it. I think he wants to write, if he's going to put his name on it, he wants to have written at least, you know, 90-something percent of the music.
0: What, uh, is there anything distinctive you can say about his style of music writing or scoring and, and how it relates to yours? I mean, is there, I don't know, is there, are there different sort of philosophies of how people approach, you know, writing a score? i f-
2: I think that I learned the most from him just about about storytelling in general. You know, he went to film school and he was very much, he, he was very much interested in scoring to help tell the story as best as possible. And it was always making sure that you weren't uh, – like when I started doing more and more for Alias, you know, he'd be there, no, you should think about this or make sure you hit that. And, like, you, I started to think about a lot more about the music's role in the show. It is not – to be showy or to it's to, it's to help tell the story in the best way that it can do that. And sometimes that's being very subtle. Sometimes that's staying out of the way. Sometimes that's not playing at all or any other kind of uh, degrees that you could say, but uh, it's mostly like I learned from him mostly just how to be a better storyteller because he's, and that's one of the reasons why he's such a good composer and why a lot of directors like him because yeah. he's really good at that stuff. He, like, he doesn't just write, you know, five minutes of showing off on something, and he, he makes sure that when he writes the music to the movie or the show or whatever, he's really honing in on what's going on, what the subtext is, subtext is what the director wants to convey, all that stuff.
1: He, he very much seems, uh, it's high praise, I, I think he has uh, maybe not gotten there yet, but but certainly could someday, but... You know, he's pretty much like the next John Williams, like sort of in my book, um, in, in the way that he has, he puts his imprint on a lot of the projects he works on. You know, the incredible soundtrack is like unbelievable, like one of the best soundtracks to a film ever. Um, and he just, he puts his character into a lot of his work that reminds me a lot of John Williams in his heyday. And when you think about, you know, some of the themes that he did, obviously, you know, topping things like the Star Wars or Jaws theme, maybe not things that Michael will ever do, but he, he reminds me of like a certain, style of characterization that reminds me a lot of john williams
2: yeah and i, I think what you trying to say is less so the music itself but more his impact with the way he writes the music yeah. and the films
1: um so so two concluding things as we wrap up uh one uh tell us what your favorite episode of lost is don't spoil it because if it's ahead of season one episode 13 but you can say the title <laughs>
2: Well, okay. If well, that's the it. that's the constant from season four.
1: Okay, all right. That's a good choice, solid choice, respectable choice. Uh, and the la- and the thing we'll we'll close it in on is uh, so I have a good story related to you being at. I don't know if it was a recording session for Lost. I think it was a recording session because you contributed percussion to Star Trek, right? Right.
2: Uh, yeah. I during the normal parts of that production, I did I orchestrated some cues. And after it had, it was supposed to come out that Christmas, if you remember, Christmas, mm-hmm. 2008. And then it, then they pushed it to a summer release of 2009. And so they had time to mess with it more. And at one point Michael was too busy with other stuff and they just needed uh, to say I contribute a bunch of percussion is maybe a little stretching. And You're I in the credits. In, I went in and play, played some, some drums and some big heavy hits and some things where they needed to punch up some stuff but like you know, I didn't like, it wasn't like writing new music or anything. So I'm trying, so I'm trying to
1: remember you, maybe you can help me film the gaps. I'm not sure if it was a Star Trek or, or Lost related, but, so when I was at Comic Con, uh, let's say five years ago, I'm not sure when, but I, I managed, I was at Comic Con one year, managed to get in line to go to Hall H, which is where like the big uh, panel events happen, and that's, Lost used to do the most exceptional, amazing Comic Con panels. They'd make all sorts of exclusive footage for it. Uh, it was so much fun, I went to them one year, and then, uh, Katie and I were wandering around the Comic-Con show floor. And as someone that gets recognized on the internet, like I, I try to be very respectful of people's time and space when they clearly have a couple of minutes to themselves and want to uh, just like explore as a normal human being. And so Carlton Cuse and David Lindelof hosted the Comic-Con panels and I saw one of them on the show floor. And I turned to Katie and I go, I should let them like go buy their toy and like respect their time. And then she looked at me and she said, you don't actually want to do that. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I made an exception to my rule, which n- then now makes it not a rule. Um, but uh, so I walked over and I said, uh, hello, Mr. Q's. Uh, I'm a big fan of Lost. Um, I just wanted to let you know I enjoyed your panel. I enjoyed the show. I'd like to get a quick picture and then I'll leave you on your way. And Katie took a photo uh, of the two of us. And I believe I posted it to the Facebook and the first comment was from Chris Tilton, in which he goes, that's Damon Lindelof, not Carlton Cuse. In which I felt <laughs> awful, because not only did I tag it that wrong, but I introduced myself wrong. Um, obviously, he rolled with it, and I'm sure that's not the first time he has gotten that. Um, but I believe, Chris, do you remember in in which you were at? Something with Damon Lindelof at some scoring thing. It might have been Star Trek.
2: Yeah, it was Star Trek, I believe.
1: And you because text, because
2: you... Spock took the picture.
1: Oh, did he really? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that that wrinkle. But so I, so I texted Chris because he was letting me know he was at this thing, and I was like, could you? Could you apologize to Damon Lindelof and tell him I'm, I'm sorry for calling him Carlton Hughes at Comic Con? And also, can I know anything about Loss? And I believe your response was something along the lines of, Damon accepts your apology, but in return, no secrets about Loss. And I, and so I was like, okay, that's, that's fine. That's an acceptable resolution to, to this conflict.
2: Yes, uh, that is, that's exactly what happened. Uh, and, and hopefully, hopefully what I said, that's not, Carlton Cues, I was trying to be informational and not a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I
1: remember. Yeah, you, yeah, you did point that out on a Facebook because I, I think, yeah, oh,
0: that's a good story. That's so funny. Uh, I,
1: I don't know, but I, you never told me Spock took the goddamn photo. Uh,
2: well, I don't know. Would that have been even more douchey rubbing it in your face or something?
1: No, I, I have connections to people that could do cool stuff so I can... Be jealous and angry at them. And now I know that a photo that was transmitted to me had fingers wrapped around the phone of Mr. My Spock. My Whatever, that's close enough. I just love that, probably you, I just loved that he's
0: once. probably the biggest star in that in that movie at that time. Mm-hmm. And you shoved a camera in his hand and you're like, here, take a picture of me. Yep.
2: And we're talking about young Spock, not Spock crime.
0: Oh, right. okay. Z- well, Z- I Z- Z- Zachary, Zachary Quintana. I right? did
2: not even... Uh, like. He, he Leonard Nimoy, Nimoy did come to one of the sessions and he was there but i just like i'm not going i'm not saying anything i'm not gonna bother i'm not I'm okay just, I'm i
0: thought we were like, talking about leonard nimoy I, i'm not no, i'm not impressed I'm by anyone else in that wow. movie i'm sorry uh, all right chris <laughs> i have i have another question before we let you go i'm sorry this is good. we're going we're taking way too much of your time here what are what are some of your favorite soundtracks that that you really look up to as as a composer I'm, I'm curious you know what what do you look at and and see as as some of your favorite ones to listen to or draw inspiration from
2: uh, I would say for modern ones, uh, well, I guess it's not modern anymore because they're a decade old, over a decade old, but the, all three Matrix movies, uh, th- those scores hmm. by Don Davis, I really, really like those. I liked them at the time and I actually listened to them again because they had a recent re-release of like the complete scores for all of the movies. And so I listened to that recently and, and it really does hold up. It's really like, it's kind, it reminds me kind of like Star Wars in a way where it has its own, its own sound, its own inspirations that are different from, say, John Williams, but still has the same like impact and complexity and layers and getting more out of it in multiple listens as, like, as something like a John Williams score. Of some I, would,
0: I would definitely say the most emotional performance in the movie.
2: The Matrix, the music to the Matrix. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Supporting uh,
0: supporting character award
1: goes to not
2: exactly the best character like love story to go along with some of the music itself, but
1: oh, it had a very subtle Jesus allegory.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I I really like that score a lot
0: and a, any are there any soundtracks like like uh the one you know like i, I will i keep coming back to that um SimCity soundtrack is there anything that that winds up in your playlist really often
2: i came back to the score to the international a bunch of times like while coming up with the idea for our game and stuff cool
1: Uh, Uh, we should yeah we should mention that before we let you go like are you talking about that sure yeah i mean i've 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 seen i've seen it but i don't know where you're at in the in the pr cycle chris um
2: i'm you know there there's there's stuff we can show i just want to see how all the meetings go at gdc before we decide to necessarily show anything
1: um have you have you have you have you announced the name or anything
2: uh I haven't really. Okay.
1: All right. I'm um, not I'm not asking you to do that. Can can you talk a little bit about like what your aims are with the game though and like so you can pimp it a little bit before we before we let you go?
2: Sure. I I wanted to make I wanted to make a game that had good characters and a story worth caring about but wasn't but but went more in the direction of like a, an action adventure game rather than, you know, a close intimate dialogue choice style game. So it's largely an isometric action adventure in which you find yourself, uh, ripped away from your, like, sort of familiar locations and your family and have to sort of piece together where you are, but you meet other characters along the way and there's, there's combat and adventuring and looking up information about various things that are connected to your family and sort of discovering that there's, may have been more to your family than you thought and things like things like that and but i wanted it to be like an actual running around an environment you know here, here's something i not long ago i thought of a good this is try not i'm trying not to sound too pretentious by saying this but go for it i feel like it's kind of like gone home meets metal gear solid if okay. that makes any sense that's
1: a really bizarre comparison but i'm i'm into it
2: But it's but it's not first person like, you know, it's more of an isometric view.
0: Where 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 can people go to follow the news on this game? What's what's the best place for them to, to check in on it?
2: Well, when I start saying a bunch of stuff about it, you will see that probably on my Twitter page, which is just at Chris Tilton.
0: Cool. We'll we'll put a link to uh, your Twitter page in the show notes for this episode. I will also put a link to the SimCity soundtrack and some of the other soundtracks we talked about. Um, and Chris, any other uh, uh, resources? Is there? A, is, do you have a site where people can can pull up all of your work and, and sort through it?
2: Yeah, just christilton.com. dot com. It's a pretty simple site that has just sort of links to like the latest soundtrack releases that, to like wherever iTunes and Amazon and all that. That's I usually just put up. I put up like whatever is like public release that you can buy up on that site.
0: Cool. Well, we will uh, we'll link to that as well. And thanks so much for your time. Thanks for for talking to us. This was really really cool.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having me on. All
0: right. We didn't hear anything from Drew this week, did we? No. Okay. Drew. <laughs> All right. Drew. <laughs> Why you? I miss you, Drew. Are you still out there? Abandon us, Drew. You'll never take care of anyone. He's gonna email us in six months. Yeah, Drew. Follow up six (laughs) months later. Uh, All right. Thank you so much to uh, Chris Tilton for your time. Um, Really appreciate doing the uh, the interview. That was that was super super nice of you, and uh, always good to uh, talk to Chris. All right. What do we gotta? What are we gonna talk about here? Should we talk about this episode? I guess so. Okay. So. It's our second Charlie flashback. You sound like you're buckling up. I'm buckling in. I, that's the sound of me uh, strapping in. I'm going to uh, wait for you to talk and eat some more of this uh, chili. Uh huh. It's going to be a good episode.
1: It is uh, a second Charlie episode in which we witness that Charlie is still addicted to drugs, <laughs> yeah, or was me, still addicted to drugs. You're
0: telling me he was a piece of shit drug addict. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, we basically like the like, you know I guess when we start you know focusing on Charlie and he kind of links into a lot of the stuff that happens in this episode. It comes and, the chili. Um, is it good chili?
0: Yeah. Where's it from? It's From um, protein bar. I got a mouthful of chili. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from protein bar. It's like a healthy, uh, a healthy health restaurant. Uh, so is it like delivers is there actual meat in there? Yeah, it's like a chicken chili. Okay. And then quinoa and avocado. Quinoa, quinoa is a superfood. I, I like quinoa. You'll never die if you eat that oh wow it's revealed
1: uh and so yeah so we we kind of you know the the off island stuff starts with well it's a year after we're not quite sure exactly where in the timeline this is but it's revealed later that it's about a year after uh drive shaft has taken a break uh charlie is kind of in between things kind of floating off of his uh clearly drive shaft is well known enough that the dude could just still walk into a bar after drive shaft has kind of uh, been a thing and be recognized so he he meets up with a, a buddy of his and it's sort of soon revealed that they're both uh, drug addicts are both into heroin uh, and they score additional money for hits by using Charlie's fame uh, to swindle some women into their bed and then Charlie steals something from them but it's not even so much that they just target random women like they research these women up front or at least his buddy does and Uh, they figure out folks that are gonna have valuables or something they can go pawn pretty quickly. And that's kind of, that's kind of where things open up. Uh, and it's mostly just like, yeah, Charlie's a piece of shit, right? (laughs) Right? Right? And it's just an an entire episode. It's an episode that's weird because I didn't mind it when I watched it. Like, I, I actually kind of enjoyed Homecoming, but then the more I think about it and the more I talk about it, like, the more disdainful I get for, I think there are a lot of really good moments in this episode, but the low points are really, really low.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a overall, it's a pretty poorly paced, boring episode with a couple of great sequences that happen. Um, well, it's just one of those
1: moments where it's like, it's, there's just stuff we're watching that's hammering home the same point that we've yeah. already had hammered home just so it can get to the moment that we want at the end.
0: And, and also, the, especially with the flashback, it's, this is all stuff we've seen already in this season by episode 14, which is like, Charlie's conning a woman and then he feels bad about it, but he's earnest and that, you know, it's like we already saw that in the Sawyer flashback. It's these same stories of like, and there's right. a lot of like dad, dad issues. That well, and, and, and
1: even if some of the characters have similar arcs that they're going through, there's nothing illuminated in the flashback that tells us anything about on Arlen Charlie or what he was going through off on. Like Charlie is, is clearly up until this episode, a earnest, uh, character who has a lot of deep character flaws but that, you know, clearly wants to get better but hasn't had maybe a reason to, right? right? And so, you know, what is Illuminate, I guess if you want to make a parallel between on-island Charlie and off-island Charlie in this episode, it's that, you know, he meets women in his life that sort of give him a reason to live again, Um and then, you know, the off-island stuff, he obviously fumbles it and he kind of ruins, the, like, this potentially good thing with a, a pretty – uh nice girl but and then you know the uh, on island it's obviously he has like a tremendous opportunity to try and take advantage of something or at least to to see if anything comes of it but it's just we don't it's it's hammering home the same thing we already knew going into it in a way that doesn't illuminate anything about charlie as a character which is why i think like the story itself in a in and of itself was kind of entertaining like an interesting but I, i don't know that it's why it leaves such a nasty taste in my mouth cuz it's like ah uh, yeah like i didn't need to yeah. see that
0: <clears throat> the, the notes i wrote from from the flashback were uh well oh, so to your point actually i think it, the one thing you get out of it is when the when the woman uh, lucy like yells at him at the end uh, you'll never take care of anyone right cuz i think but uh, that's so hamfisted it's so like this is like later lost writing where it's like oh this one moment in, this one thing that one person said to charlie like defined his life so literally up to this point that he takes he he takes some extreme action, which we'll get to in a second. When well, it feels
1: like in, in the writing it's it's like, did you get it? Like this is what we're saying about yep. Charlie as a character right now. Did yeah. you like did you get it? Come yeah. on. Like we're we're gonna literally spell it out for you. The character moment is he can't take care of anyone and now he wants to.
0: Yep. Yeah, I agree. It was it was uh it was not it is so ham fisted and so condescending the way that uh Uh, they, they sort of cram this stuff down, down the audience's throat, but maybe that's where you get like, you know, lost is a great show that also has to work on network TV. So maybe that's where that starts. Well, I think, I think
1: think that's, I think that's totally true. And we'll, you know, get into trivia a little bit of what Damon Lindelof thought of the episode because he wrote this one, um, is how do you start, like maybe, you know, it's hard to obviously know, but when they're pacing out the reveals for a character, like, especially when you're talking about it's happening over a 24 episode arc, um, over a series that you don't know when it's going to end. And obviously this is still pretty early, so they have no idea they're going to go on for a number of seasons, but they have to potentially think about that. When you're, tr- it's, it's not, I, don't, I guess it's not hard for me to imagine them taking out a couple of character bits, thinking that was enough for this episode. And then when you look back on it, realizing we probably should have said something a little bit more enlightening about the character Um, because it maybe felt okay at the time because all the on-island stuff is really exciting and there's a lot of interesting stuff happening there a lot of group dynamics and action but when you look at the show in totality you look at this and realize if you could have done it again knowing the entire arc of the show Mm -hmm. you probably would have done something a little more substantial
0: and also all the you know all the character development on charlie with with regards to Charlie in this episode, it funnels into this one action sequence at the end that really helps you understand, you know, why he kills Ethan. Uh, I guess not really – spoiler, because no. people have seen the episode. But, you know, the – with the hindsight of Lost as a whole, I just don't – you know, none of these – in my opinion, none of these stories – our resolve in a, in that satisfying a way, like I'm really only interested in these stories about Charlie and Ethan and everyone else, like insofar as they're great character stories and I see how these people tick. So, a whole <coughs> flashback about Charlie that explains, you know, that really just speaks to this one sort of action sequence, I, I just feels very insubstantial. This felt like an episode where, where nothing happened and I didn't learn that much about the, the flashback character. Um, also that copy machine demo scene was pretty funny though. It, when he throws up on the, say that the whole, actually just even leading up to it is just really, like I thought that yeah. the, the vomiting maybe was a little
1: over the top, but yeah. like the, he played it really well. Yep. Like he plays a really good
0: recovering drug. <laughs> yeah. He's just like sweating and the thing's not working. You and know, he's like going through the manual and he's like, it's gotta be like, yeah.
1: I've never been in a situation where I'm trying to sell a, uh, a copier machine mm-hmm. while I'm coming off of heroin. But and I think everyone has been in a moment where they don't know what to do and they're just fumbling and they're doing whatever they can, hoping it's just going to work out. And that yep. moment where he's looking through the manual, just like, what are you going to land on page 63 that explains like what's <laughs> going on with this machine? Like, no, you're not. But, but I've, everyone has had that heart attack moment or feared they're going to have a moment like that. And although I could not empathize with his specific ailment, I, I'd certainly have know what that is like to be in front of a crowd. Yep. And uh and it was actually, you know, I, I will say it was kind of you know, the Lucy sort of points out like, why are you nervous? She obviously doesn't know that he's, you know, coming off of, of heroin, but this this notion that uh Charlie is, is someone that has performed in front of huge audiences, like has been this sort of rock star but and can and can do things on this grand scale and, and come across so cool and collected but that when it comes to his own life and like small moments like one-on-one interactions like he has a lot of failings as a human that he hasn't quite resolved like but again that's something we sort of already knew
0: yeah and also like i got i mean i to that point like i got so much more out of that the copy machine scene that i sort of saw into charlie's character than i did out of the whole thing where she's like yelling at him also i thought i like lucy she was great. So,
1: yeah, I, good, I, good I think that, I think that's what colors a lot of how I feel about that um, off on stuff is that it would have been cool to see more of her. She just seemed like a nice girl, and I yeah. like I liked the she was like the actress played her well. Like I liked their dynamic with mm-hmm. one another, even if the context of their relationship and what it said about Charlie didn't go anywhere. I think that's ends up why I end up being kind of okay with the episode is mm-hmm. because I watched them interact with one another. I'm like that was
0: that was pretty good. I'm all right with that.
1: Uh But then yeah, it's ultimately kind of.
0: Kind of hollow. So on Island, uh <clears throat> let's see, the big uh the big I mean obviously the big action is uh Claire comes back, she has amnesia, she can't remember anything. I was kinda curious about this. Uh is just is that how amnesia works? Is that a real is amnesia a real thing? I, I shouldn't have time to like go into a, a Wikipedia c hole. Um, maybe. If, if, it's like, it feels a little, uh, Gilligan's Island to me, like, it does feel convenient. Someone someone gets hit on the head with a coconut and they forget who they are, and then it turns out the only cure is you have to get hit on the head with another coconut.
1: Like, it's not, uh, again, not a doctor, but it, you know, I certainly, like, traumatic incidents can incite a temporary memory loss, but I think what makes it difficult to sort of buy with Claire a little bit is that we have zero clue what happened to her, right? right? So, it's, it's one of those things that could make sense, once we know what did happen to her maybe i, I don't want to conjecture i might cuz i might say too much about what actually happens but like you know uh there's not there's no context for that so it does come across as sort of a convenient plot device to just keep her in the dark for for charlie to conveniently have a way to reset their relationship to sort of take lessons from what happened before and where he may have stumbled to try and like because he seems like very clearly, uh, the way I'm going to do it now is like I'm going to move into this boyfriend
0: role. Oh, that's like. interesting. That's interesting. Uh, so that's a very charitable reading of the <laughs> writing of the writing of Claire's amnesia. Because to me, it's like when she comes at the end of uh, special, the last episode, when she comes stumbling out of the woods. That's such a great, big, dramatic moment. Because I, as the viewer, if I put myself in the shoes of someone who hasn't seen the show she's before, she's been for two weeks. I am dying to know why did Ethan. You've been, you've wanted to know this now for like four weeks. You've been like, screaming at the characters, why don't you guys care where this woman went? Yeah. She's been gone for two weeks. And I was like, why did Ethan take her? What did he, right. why did he want her? Why, what was he doing with her? Where were they, where were they? What was it? Yeah. Like, I want to know some stuff. And she comes stumbling out and you're like, you can't wait to see this episode because you're like, finally you're going to fucking know some stuff because Claire's going to tell us what happened. Yep. And then she's got amnesia. Right. And I, I, it's, I feel like that is some, uh, it feels like a way of dragging that out to a 40 minute two episode. That's exactly it. It feels like buying, giving Claire amnesia is like buying time. So unsatisfying. A bit, it's too. a little bit of tap dancing
1: so the yeah. flashback can play out, uh, and then they'll get around to it, you know, in the, uh, cause, cause, and then they're also very selective with it, right? Like they, you know, it's like, oh, I remember peanut butter, which gives them like this little cute moment that it is a cute moment because those actors are really, really good and yeah. they play off each other so well and they're able to elevate like the really mediocre writing in a way that uh, it doesn't really deserve. But, yeah, like, it, it is really kind of tap dancing until, like, the last couple of minutes when... Uh, and really the only impactful thing is, like, Charlie's decision at the end. Yeah. Uh, and nothing else really matters.
0: So what... Is there really a C story in this episode that I'm forgetting? I don't really think... I don't think there really is. It's, it's mostly Jack uh, shows... Reveals that he has the guns. Uh, uh,
1: there's a, there's a, an, an additional gun found.
0: Right. Sawyer has the gun he lifted off the Air Marshal... And there's that great. This is my favorite piece of dialogue from this episode. Was when uh, Sawyer Jack goes, "Where'd you get? Where'd you get this gun?" And Sawyer goes, "I lifted it off the marshal. You remember him, right? Like he had like a great shitty Sawyer comment." And then Jack goes, "Yeah, I remember you shot him and missed and missed." Yeah, that was a really good comeback. Yeah, it was great. Um, and also I think it's it was also just nice because it it raised the. So I would I think we should talk about the guns for a second because I love that Lost raises the dramatic stakes of having a gun. You know, in most shows, for a character to have a gun is like – it's like nothing. It's no big deal. But Lost has already shown like people don't exactly know how to use them. They might not have the right kind of ammunition. They have limited ammunition. They might miss. You know, they could wound someone. Uh,
1: They've created consequences for guns that go beyond how most shows sort of handle –
0: yeah, it's a great. For a gun. I mean, it I makes love, it feel
1: weighty. I but,
0: love but, that season one of Lost has a line about not just how many guns they have, but how many bullets they have for the guns. Because yeah. it really makes you, you know, it's like if that's what you have, you really need to decide: are you gonna use is your, are you gonna use a gun on this thing? Is there gonna be a problem later? Right? Um, yeah, thought that was good, and it seems like the, the kind of problem that. uh the the later seasons don't really dwell on. It's just like, oh, there's always, when they need there's guns, always there's guns. always enough guns yeah. around, yeah.
1: And uh, I actually like some of the, the, the tension that builds up with, so like the, the the Clara stuff aside, and I think they handle a lot of other stuff with her really poorly, where I don't know why anyone doesn't tell her what's going on with the rest of, like, no one tells her that someone has died. That, as a so and I guess we should set up what actually happened here, but uh, basically, Ethan tracks down Charlie and lets him know, that unless he delivers Claire to him, he will begin systematically killing people on the island. Uh, he's gonna kill someone at sundown, uh, that night, um, after he finds Charlie, and then he's gonna kill someone, uh, the night after that. Uh, and so Charlie, this was, I, in my head, knowing what Lost has such a tendency to do in later seasons, I was like, oh, right, this is going to be where Charlie just doesn't go back and fucking tell anyone. And we're going to spend half the episode just being going, Charlie, why don't you just tell everyone that Ethan threatened you so that everyone could prepare for it? Mm-hmm. But then it literally just cuts to him telling everyone and then preparing for it, which I was like, okay, yeah, well, they don't do that in the rest of the series, but at least that moment, like Charlie went and did the right thing. Yep. Um, and there is actually a little great character moment between Jack and Locke in which uh, Jack like starts proposing a couple of ideas and Locke is not taking him seriously at all or shooting them down. And then finally Jack is just tired of it. Just like, well, clearly you have a plan, Mr. Locke. Why don't you tell us what you want us to do? Um, and then they come up with a plan of having, uh, sort of guards rotating through and setting booby traps. Um, and then, uh, I, I liked all that stuff. And then when like the first person does die and you realize, uh, that
0: someone, he has access to a boat, like, which is, you know, they don't really. Or I always pick. You know, I always pictured him just like walking out <laughs> of the swimming? water, like like a swamp man, like coming out. No, not even swimming. Just he comes walking out of the ocean, like a
1: T one thousand.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because it. Does. I mean, you could like you.
1: you don't he know what Ethan is right now. He has that kind
0: of mystique of like, he he's, 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 he's indestructible. At that point, he's like indestructible, and he's got that creepy. His mouth is hanging. And open he all the he time. feels
1: slightly inhuman, like, yeah. and you don't know what he is. Like, yeah. he, he could be you know anything at this point. There's a polar bear on this goddamn island, so. <laughs> I, I thought they ramp up the tension in that stuff like really, really well, and like yeah. the unceremonial. Although, okay, so
0: <laughs> when, and Lost, Lost is always at its best when the characters are out setting traps and making a plan. Then yeah. when you see what happens afterwards, like it's the when it when it, when they're like ratcheting up the tension, Lost is great, perfect. When it comes to play it out, meh. So,
1: but there's one specific line that I remember bothered me when I had first seen the show, and it bothered me again even more because I was ready for it. Is that so? When they discover, so Scott dies; mm-hmm. he's the one that is killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it they, Steve? Well, that's okay. They, that's where they kind of, kind of finally pay off that joke. Yeah, uh, I think it is Scott that dies. Okay, and then there's a great little moment between Hurley and Sawyer, where he's like, "It's like, oh, what happened to Steve?" He's like, "That was Scott, dude." <laughs> it's just like. Because, like, it's so funny in the context of the show, but then also it's a meta-commentary on the fact that the writers can't get Scott or Steve straight, and then they just end up killing one. So that's funny. But when Scott's found dead, and they're like, well, what happened to him? like, his neck was broken, and his legs were broken, and every bone in his arms were broken. I was like, "Like, what did Ethan do? Did, like, Ethan go and get a rock and just, like, sit there systematically dismantling every one of his bones? Like, he snapped his neck too? Like what did, I don't know. I thought that was like so weirdly over the top and then uncharacteristic of Ethan even that it was like, that's just a super villain.
0: It's, it's a little much and it's, you know, I, he snapped his neck. That's like a, that's all I needed <clears throat> to know. So I always think that, I mean, you know, the way I always see this episode is like, did they check it? Did they like pull his arm up and like <laughs> notice the ba- Like how, how did they check that all of his bones are broken? I, yeah, I always think this is like a little bit of the, um, the fight in Indiana Jones where the guy comes out, the the huge guy comes out with like the knives or the scimitars or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's like whirling them all around. And it's like, Oh shit, this guy's going to be like a boss. Formidable foe. Yeah. And then Indiana Jones just like pulls out the gun and (laughs) shoots him. It's a great little moment of, of comedy and, and like letting the tension out in in a really interesting way. And I think this episode is like all about building Ethan up, even in the previously unlost that they show where they, they show every scene of Ethan, like, Tossing Jack around like a rag doll and yeah. stuff like it it's building him up into the t1000 and then it's ten times as surprising when Charlie just shoots him dead and yes. he goes down right like I, that even surprised me knowing that it was going to happen I, it's like the human. way it's
1: edited and shot it it's it's really shocking yeah he's they,
0: suddenly so so human and so fragile and
1: they yeah. and they make you i mean they foreshadow what's going to happen when the 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 gun gets knocked away and the camera very deliberately watches the gun get moved out of the way, which, but the action is so fast paced that you're not well, whatever about that gun, not worrying about it. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously where Charlie had been kind of stalking them and then comes in and like, doesn't just shoot him once. No. Like shoots the dude in the chest, like six, seven times.
0: Now, all right, we got to talk about one other thing about this scene. Uh, so you mentioned, we were talking about this earlier and you were like, this is great. Cause Charlie does exactly what the audience wants him to do. Well, from my perspective, like, fuck Ethan, right? Like, I know as a watcher of Lost,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Like, as someone who's interested in the mythology, mm-hmm. I, I want to know what Ethan can possibly tell us. Right.
0: But that dude killed fucking Scott and took Claire away for two weeks. That guy no. doesn't deserve to live. Shoot him in the head. No, I don't agree. I, that drives me insane. I, they had him. They got him. That's the thing is that it wasn't Ethan wasn't about to murder Jack. He didn't, you know, it wasn't like he was about to swing a rock into Jack's head. This is a guy that took Scott and broke all the bones in that guy's body. (laughs) This is a guy you trust to just hang around. These people haven't shown that they're competent enough to have a prisoner. Okay, how much shit would go wrong? All right, there's a version of this scene where you know Jack gets separated from the group, Mm -hmm. right? And Ethan comes out of the the like the T1000. He comes out. And, uh, they have their fight, and it's, you know, it's obviously also like kind of a reference to the fight that they had when Jack was chasing Ethan, cause it's muddy, mm-hmm. and Ethan sort of kicked Jack when he was down, and Jack keeps p- punching Ethan here when he's down. There's a version of the scene where Ethan comes out and he just destroys Jack like he did last time, and he's got like a rock lifted up and he's about to bash Jack's head in, and at the last second, Charlie comes out of the woods, like blam blam, he kills Ethan and he saves the day. Not how the scene was done. Ethan was already subdued. Jack was already beating the shit out of him. Well, that but that
1: would have also taken then it wouldn't have been illustrative of uh, Charlie's motivation the no, character. No,
0: g- I I completely agree. I'm just saying it's 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 frust I think you're supposed to be frustrated. You're yeah, like Yeah, you are. Okay. I
1: I think I think it's a deli- like if there's anything in like Lost of the show became way too preoccupied with sort of yanking your chain and like p- mm-hmm. kind of pushing the answers a little bit further down the road, but this was, I thought, actually a pretty brilliant moment. Of you think you're about to get it, and the show literally kills the only character that can explain anything about what's going on. I know it's so. And even it's, now, it, I'm frustrated.
0: I'm like, I'm mad. Like, that's, I hate that that happened.
1: That's a good cliffhanger. Yeah, you're right? right. Like, it's it's a really well written cliffhanger uh, and a really well executed cliffhanger because it functions as a good character moment for Charlie. It's like a character defining <laughs> moment for Charlie mm-hmm. in an episode that is full of a lot of bullshit for him. Uh, and it's also for the audience, like, it is halfway through the season. So it's like, they're, they're basically saying, look, the answer, like, we've got some stuff coming, there's clearly some shit going on, <laughs> but you're not gonna get it now, we're gonna kill that guy. Uh. Uh, which is like, when, when you have that kind of, uh, it's not the mad, uh, it's the, uh, it's right. like, oh, like, I'm, I, I, like, you love the show and you're angry that you just didn't get the thing that you you're wanted. Right, you're like, right. I think it's, I think it's really well done in that, in that way. This,
0: uh, now, have we figured out, have we ever talked about when, when was Battlestar Galactica on TV with, with, in comparison to Lost? Cause no, that comes up, up in our interview. We, we, we talked about that with about Chris the, too, but the, the, the there's uses a music. very similar thing in Galactica where, where there's a scenario where they have this character kind of captive and you're about to learn a bunch of stuff and then they get killed, I'm uh, right now. away. And I wonder if, if they're, now that, now that I think about it, I wonder if they're kind of stealing that dramatic Trick from Lost, so they premiered uh, the same year. Weirdly okay. enough, two thousand four. Um, so I, huh.
1: I th- would have thought that I felt like Battlestar was later, but I came to Lost a season late, and I came to Battlestar a season late. So I think I might have wa- both started watching both in two. Someone, uh,
0: one of our one of our viewers who uh, feels like uh, going on Wikipedia more than I do right now, tell me if the scene with uh, Callie and and six, uh, that's I think that's season two. Of Battlestar Galactica, so it'd probably be after this. So loss was first. Okay, that probably answered my own question. Yep. but uh, write in if you know something about that. All right, let's do our trivia and stop talking about this uh, uh, unmemorable episode.
1: Okay, so could, uh, a couple of good beats to, to trivia this week. Uh, one, the, the copy of the Charlie uh, tries to sell is model eight one five, same number as the <laughs> ill fated uh, plane. Which had, at had some point, at some point, maybe we should just not mention those because that that ceases being trivia. Uh, uh, has have fans picked
0: up on that at this point? Hmm. Do you remember?
1: I don't think so because no. Okay. It doesn't really kick in till something else that happens
0: yeah. later. Okay. So season. fans haven't been screen capping the episodes or, at this
1: I, point. or if it's happening it's it's I don't think the show is like playing into that yet. So okay. there's like a couple of acknowledgments but it's not like later when you want to look at what the numbers on the alarm clock is. Got it. Uh, Charlie's date, Lucy, mentions that her dad is out of town looking for a paper company in Slough? Slough? Slough. Slough? I think. This is a reference to the British show The Office, which uh, took place at a paper company in Slough.
0: That's great. Uh,
1: At one point, Ethan has an unexplained limp. This is a remnant of a deleted scene where Ethan breaks through the security perimeter and fights Locke, who stabs him in the thigh before Ethan knocks him out. While a promotional image of this scene has been released, the scene was not on the DVDs. Hmm. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, it's, I think that's a good cut too, because I think it does preserve, it heightens the surprise when Lot when Ethan gets, uh, shot. Yeah, it all because happens at once. He's still indestructible yeah. in your mind. Yeah. I think that's a good cut.
1: Uh, and then from a uh, lot, and so, you know, this trivia comes from uh, a mixture of IMDb and Lostpedia, and Lostpedia actually has a reference to an interview. I don't have the. Uh, the source of the interview, I can, I can look that up. Anyway, it's an interview with uh, Damon Lindelof, one of the co-creators and the writer of this episode in which the interview asks, uh, what is your least favorite episode of Lost? Uh, oh my god, pauses. I think my f- least favorite episode is this episode that we did in the first season called Homecoming. It's when Claire comes back from having been in the jungle yeah. for a couple of days after she was abducted by the others, and Ethan comes after her. The backstory is Charlie is trying to go straight, and he's selling copiers. At the end of the episode, he shoots Ethan. I wrote that episode, and it's my least favorite episode of the show ever. In the interview, asks. I'm surprised by that answer. It's not an episode fans usually name as their least favorite. Lindelof. The episode brings... Let's. Uh the episode fans bring up most is Blank, which is an episode with Blank and Blank. And basically, I feel oh, wait, like that's
0: not a spoiler. We can say the name of the episode, Stranger in a Strange Land. Okay, Stranger in a Strange Land. Because people who have seen the show know. Can sure, okay, that. all right, and
1: I'll stop there. Yeah. Uh, and basically, I feel like it's unfair to bag on that episode. Am I a huge fan of it? No, but at the same time, there were so many different circumstances that led to that episode that needed to be written, had so many ideas that didn't work. The fact that it all coalesced, there was bad casting decisions made, there was a bad premise decision made, there was a bad flashback story, just everything that could have gone wrong did, but I don't think it was because the script was terrible. Homecoming, I think, was flawed on almost every single level that an episode of Lost could be. And I looked at the interview itself to see if he elaborated on like what he thought the flaws were, and unfortunately they didn't follow up on that. But I think a lot of the stuff that we talked about are probably illustrative of the things he appears to be alluding to. And it's kind of cool that he, you know, looks is able to look back. And what I thought was interesting about it is that Stranger in a Strange Land is sort of a fan. uh Lost fans are collectively behind that being the worst episode in the series. It happens at a point when they haven't negotiated an end date and they were just running out of ideas. Uh, whereas Homecoming is, like, early in, like, one of the strongest seasons of the show, if not the strongest season of the show. And yet, you know, Lindelof able to go back and recognize, you know, sort of, it's not a, an awful episode, but it's a weak episode. And, uh, I think, I think a lot of the stuff he talks about, or at least alludes to, is the stuff that we kind of brought up throughout the, the discussion.
0: Cool. Well, uh, I think that should do it for this week. Uh, next week, we're going to be watching Outlaws, which, uh, it's our second Sawyer episode, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's our second Sawyer flashback episode. Uh, I'm trying to think, uh. Is that the one that I'm thinking of in my head? It's the scene I want. Yes. Shrimp? Oh yeah. Yeah. What I remember about this episode, it's been a while since I've seen it. I remember this episode has just this has a such a good flashback. It almost I ate at the shrimp place. You did? Yeah. Okay. Save it for next week. Save it for next week. Uh it has a it has a flashback that's almost going to like pull the rug out on the whole flashback structure and, and make it make Everything way more crazy and interesting. Um, so if you haven't seen it, the flashback is, is definitely the thing to look forward to the most. The on island, island stuff, I think, can remember. Pretty stupid. I think they chase a, a boar around. I, th- it's
1: going to be a lot of tap dancing, which yeah. is, which I think is, is probably going to be kind of how these episodes go till we get to about, you know, 18 when we're setting up the end of game for the season, mm-hmm. um, in which, uh, you know, it's just like some flashbacks are going to be strong and then on island, island stuff is going to be tap dancing and then, you know, with the, Charlie, you know, the episode we just watched, it was the opposite. You know, the on-island stuff was pretty interesting and the the flashback stuff was just tap dancing.
0: Um, well, we, we can uh, hear all about it next week uh, here on Rewatch Podcast. Uh, as always, the show notes for this episode are available at rewatchpodcast.com. We've got some really good stuff there. Uh, I'm putting um, – what do we have in there? I have the links to our streams that we're doing. So the uh, Dragon Age, Trinquisition, uh, and Patrick's uh, – the link to Patrick's uh, Dark dark Demons uh, – dark demon. Got it fighting yep. game stream. Uh, I'll put some information about Killer Queen. Uh, I sure. put that in the follow-up notes, uh, the, uh, show notes, uh, just so people can, uh, can learn more about that. There's a
1: New York Times article not that long ago about
0: it. Killer Queen? Yeah, I think so. Whoa. All right. Um, perhaps I will uh, include that. Uh, as always, you can email us your questions or send us your comments at rewatchpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us your, uh, send us your feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you, what you're thinking about the show. Let us know how, how your rewatch of lost is going uh let us know uh, also where we we have some uh, i don't want to i don't want to promise anything too much but we have some very cool interviews coming up yeah um I and some also if i'm very uh, excited about
1: we we haven't done spoiler chat in a while so if a question you want to ask about especially cuz we're gone for 6 months you might have started watching the show uh much further than obviously where we're at right now if there's something you want to bring up or something you want to talk about like we're happy to uh speak about sort of revelations that you know like obviously someone's in season four they are they have hit potentially have hit an episode like the constant so uh if you want to bring up some of that stuff you know make sure and email us and we can we can bring that up in spoiler chat
0: cool uh well thanks as always to steve Fabwash kim for our podcast artwork thanks to dose one for our theme music you can check out his work including his ringtone of the month at dose com. and we will see you here next week